Disruptors and curious minds, welcome to another amazing episode of Thinking on Paper. My name is Jeremy Gilbertson. With me is my partner in crime, Mark Fielding. Mark, how goes it today? Where, how are you feeling, man? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know, I, you know me. I'm always feeling good. Nobody, nobody likes negativity, do they? The sun is shining. Um, it's the holidays. I'm trying to juggle work, writing, and not doing either of those things. And when your work is your passion. And when you love doing what you do, it's quite hard to switch off. Um, I don't know how to do that. I haven't learned. So how do you switch off, Jeremy, when writing is your job and what you love doing? Well, I think the root of writing is just your brain trying to connect the dots. And once you get it catalyzed into connecting dots, any dots that you take in, you automatically want to try and connect. So, man, I don't know. It's it. I've, I found some good ways to unplug. I mean, just kind of keeping out, keeping off of electronics and stuff like that helps me kind of stay in the moment. I had a big moment uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So my oldest daughter, uh, I dropped her off at college for the first time yesterday. And that was pretty intense, pretty cool, like kind of wow. a big moment. Um, so I actually used writing to process all of what I was thinking this morning. I use writing as kind of an well, interesting yeah. process. How do, you, how do you feel? How, how does it feel? Do so here's, feel? here's the synthesis. Here's the output of it is that, you know, I'm 75% like so psyched and stoked and enthusiastic and, you know, excited for her. And like 25%, like a little bit sad and a little bit like, did I give her all the stuff she needs to be successful? Right. So um, I think that's the case in, in all grounds, but yeah, anyway, really interesting. Um, dynamic. I don't think it's quite finished yet. You still have some wisdom to pass on. Maybe that advice and wisdom changes now. It does. It does. You know, the, 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 the worry and the, uh, anticipation kind of never goes away from when they're small and walking around to larger and, you know, doing their own thing, but it's fun. Hopefully I can move to a coach mode uh these days <laughs> yeah so uh speaking speaking of um kind of uh this this new phase of of development you know we're in this land of you know emerging technologies and and you know brands are trying to really make sense of this stuff right and they're trying to do it in meaningful ways we've all seen brands uh latch on to emerging tech in ways that weren't so meaningful yeah, good and bad. Um, good and bad. And and it's all about test and iteration too, I think. And and when a brand does a test and it maybe fails, if, if as long as you get good information to inform the next test, I think it's really good. But what what is it? you you recently wrote or maybe this was a while back you wrote about a major brand doing something in web3 that uh, you weren't super impressed with. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking speaking of hot takes, let's let's hit that first before we bring on our awesome guest. Well, maybe our awesome guest would, could, should have done a much better job. No, it was the Peroni beer um, blockchain experiment, which I actually stumbled across by accident. I was in Italy and I stumbled into some very small Italian bodega and there in the fridge was this big bottle of beer and it had blockchain written on it. And I was like, oh, I was excited. This is mainstream adoption in the Italian foothills. So I bought this bottle <laughs> and I, I did, you know, it was, it was very... It's, it's maybe in their defense, I think it's like two years old. There's a QR code. You scanned a QR code and you could see that I could see where my beer came from. I could trace the hops on the blockchain. Only I couldn't. There was a very, what felt to me, rushed app that mostly used stills from Google Earth. And the only blockchain kind of element for it 
was lots was the actual hash code. I could see my the hashes, and it it just felt like no beer lover would have resonated with it. It just it felt very very rushed, and I hope that they have learned from that iteration. Like you say, I mean, maybe they thought it was a success. I didn't, but. Well, one of the, one of the early, and, and, you know, this will be something we can jump in with our guests, like right off the bat is, you know, the early um, use cases for, for blockchain were really in supply chain transparency, right? With whether it's meats or, or manufacturing or whatever the heck it is, or all these little test cases out there that, you know, kind of inform this, these, these communities and these communities rewarded for giving in information and that sort of thing. But without further ado, I think we should just jump right in. I'm really excited about our guest. You want to give it a quick, give him a quick intro and then, and then bring him on. Yeah. So, uh, Jonathan Blanco, I wish that I could say I'd known him for a long time, but he's a recommendation from one of our fans, uh, Kevin Logan, recommended recently, said he would be an awesome guest, knows his stuff. He's a, a founder, an investor, an MC. He's a motivational coach. He's, he's, he's got it all. So, yeah, without further ado, uh, Jonathan Blanco, welcome to Thinking on Paper. Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to be here. Uh, I'm not a motivational coach, but if people get motivation from me, I, I'm happy with that. <laughs> we'll call it we'll call it an ancillary reverberation of your yeah. superpower. I, I did I did I'm read in one of the people though. Well, in your recommendation, there was something I read about. Um, you're, you're very involved in 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 health personal, physical, mental health as well, I think. Is that part of your... Uh, just personally, and, and if I can motivate other people to be the same way, you know, I hope to do that as well. You know, by no means am I a, a, a you know, fitness model by any means, but I, I definitely uh, exercise um, at least six times a week. Doesn't mean I go crazy six times a week, but, you know, I play basketball three times a week, um, try to lift about four times a week. And, uh, it's honestly been the best thing for my mental health. Uh, it makes me um, a lot easier to work with probably during the day because I get my aggression out um, and I get kind of like that competitiveness out when I play basketball. Um, and I, I'm just I'm just such a better person uh, the days I work out. I actually haven't been able to work out the last two days. And in my head, I'm thinking about, I was like, okay, when can I go work out? Well, at least I'll go you know, for a really long walk today and then maybe try to go to the gym. But I, my schedule has just been um, busy this last couple of days where I can't get into the gym while it's open. So I guess I got to find a, a gym that's open 24 hours. Because <laughs> yeah, you've just got back from Seattle. Is that right? The- so, I, so I'm in Seattle, but we've been hosting a number of events lately, um, which isn't really our core thing. But uh, uh, last week in Seattle, we had Seattle Tech Week. And so it was just a, a week dedicated to the tech community. And we have a really uh, fantastic space uh, in Seattle. We actually can see the Space Needle, the iconic, you know, uh, building here in Seattle. We can see it right from our deck. And uh, so we had um, probably about 500 people come through, maybe even more throughout that whole week, um, culminating with the the final barbecue that took place on, on Friday, this past Friday, where we had um, about 180 people come. So, um I'm a big fan of of building community, and um, that's something that we've been doing in the Pacific Northwest for a number of years, and I can get into that uh, later. Um, but uh, we don't necessarily like monetize that community. That's just literally what we do because we want to make sure that uh, Web3 and disruptive technologies get more uh, acknowledgement. 
Um, and then honestly, it, there's some selfish ambitions in there too, is like, I personally want to hang out with people who are thinking about these things. And, um, if I host the event, I can guarantee that I get to hang out <laughs> with these sort of people. <laughs> so if I don't host the event, maybe no, no one does anything. So that's my way to guarantee I get to hang out with people like yourselves who are here in Seattle or in the Northwest. I'd, I'd love to go to Seattle. Um, I, let's start in the middle. So I'm sure what are the, some of the common themes from Seattle before we get into you and more of your backstory, let's just start there. What were some of the common themes throughout the week or just Seattle in general throughout the week? Yeah, throughout the week. Um, so, you know, it was everything, it was definitely more startup related. It wasn't necessarily web three related. Actually, it wasn't web three related at all. We were the only ones who hosted events related to web three. Um, you know, Seattle has been a little bit of a sleeper town when it comes to web three overall. Um, and that's particularly because we don't have enough um, investors or VCs who are really um, about Web3. That being said, there's some fantastic companies being built in Seattle um, in Web3. Uh, there's a number of them like CoinMe, uh, Stably. Um, you know, Coinbase has a ton of people uh, here who work remotely. Uh, Anchor, uh, Anchorage Digital has a ton of people working remotely. There's a lot of companies who are still building uh, in this area, though, for whatever reason, Seattle, unfortunately, isn't very well known for Web3 outside of, um, you know, a couple core people that host uh, some events. But, you know, what's great about Seattle is the fact that we have Microsoft, we have Amazon, and, you know, every other major tech company has built uh, a satellite here as an Apple, Facebook, Meta now, uh, Google. Um, so there's a lot of great tech talent. And each one of those companies has, you know, a section or a portion of their team that is thinking through or working through uh, this Web3 space. Even if they don't say it publicly, uh, there's people behind the scenes that are still um, working on that. It's not getting abandoned, even though you might see it publicly you know, such and such uh, company is get moving away from XYZ. They're probably moving away the majority of the team, but they're still working on it uh, internally. Cool. So quick follow-up on that. Uh, you know, this a lot of our conversations are at this intersection of, of, of merging tech and culture. And there's a lot of things happening right now in emerging tech, you know, be it AI, be it Web3, be it, you know, AR, VR, digital experiences, game engines, all of that stuff. How are you finding just that that intersection to be let's from an AI perspective I guess since that since that's the biggest like you know siren you know echoing did you guys get into any of that and kind of the cultural implications did you guys talk through any of that in the tech week the cultural implications of what sorry of AI oh um yeah look that always comes up um I'm I'm a big believer that everything has to start from somewhere, right? And, um, you know, if you think about, if, you, if you've ever seen a picture of the first camera, you know, it's like the size of a bus. Or if you ever see a picture of the first computer, it's the size of a house. Um, you know, uh, things improve over time and processes are going to improve over time. Um, we had a, a conversation at our office, uh, at our location, uh, we host an event called uh, the intersection of AI and blockchain. And so uh, I was normally, I actually uh, moderate, but on this one, I was actually on the panel and I was joined by uh, two uh, additional panelists, Jesse Adams and Devin Shigaki. And we were just talking about how, uh, in, well, at least I was talking about how I think that AI has proven the case for tokenization. And, um, you know, I, 
while I, I believe that AI needs blockchain more than blockchain needs AI. In fact, I, I would almost argue that AI is going to eat a lot of blockchain. So that's why I say I don't know that blockchain necessarily needs AI um, as much. But AI definitely needs uh, blockchain because we're getting to a point already and we will continue to get to a, a point where we need to understand what is real, what is not real, what has been um, created by the originator versus created by a duplicate um, and whether that means it's originated from uh, a computer and you want to authenticate that or it's originated from a person or a company brand, et cetera, um, tokenization really is a clear path to make sure that you're validating that. Now, naturally, there has to be an element of trust where the uh, person who is either you know, purchasing these goods, et cetera, trusts the entity originating it. But I would say for the most part, that already is inherent, is that if you're buying from a brand, you are trusting that brand. So if a brand is telling you that they created something, whether originally or they created it via um, an AI and they tokenize that element um, and they're authenticating or they're validating that they actually uh, tokenize that, you're going to trust that brand. So um, I think that's a little bit of a missing link that's happening right now in this AI uh, conversations. And I think that will be a big part of what takes place in the, in the coming years is people figuring that part out. Um, you know, plug uh, our, our tool at NIFMINT uh, allows for that uh, because we're essentially a tokenized, I'll get into that later, but we're a tokenization API, tokenization platform essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's going to continue to get interesting. You just have to make sure that you have authentication, provenance, immutability in digital content and digital products. Uh, does AI need Bitcoin more than, more than Bitcoin needs AI as well? Um, I think Bitcoin's different. Um, so uh, sometimes people think um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an oxymoron in the sense that I'm from a, from a money perspective, I'm 100% Bitcoin. Um, and I wouldn't call myself a Bitcoin maximalist, but um, I personally have zero trust in any outfit that calls themselves decentralized that's not Bitcoin, personally. Again, I'm speaking as myself. Um, and so I think, um, I don't think Bitcoin needs AI, uh, definitely. Um, I think uh, I think AI could definitely benefit from Bitcoin as well, like uh, particularly on the ordinals case, which by the way, there's people in Bitcoin who are not fans of ordinals, but I could see that also being a case uh, you know, for it overall. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm kind of going down a different path on, on that question, but I get it a lot because um, when I, the way I think about NFTs and Web3 is more product-driven than uh, money-driven is how I think about Web3. And the way I think about Bitcoin is very much money-driven. Money um, though I guess there's technically parts of Web3 that I think of money-driven, but I don't, again, I don't think about... Uh, like personally, I, for example, I don't see the need for having... Um, tokens that are not stable. So um, I, I don't see the need for having a polygon token, for example, that goes up and down in value. I, I think that very much could still be a stable coin um, and you would get the same amount of value. Um, and, and by the way, we mint things on Polygon and we use Polygon um, and we're fans of Polygon, um, but I don't personally see the need for having fluctuating currencies of crypto um, unless you're banking on some sort of future value aspect of it. 
uh, which of course no project talks about, but does happen. <laughs> well, also uh, just to, just to chime in real quick, like a you know Polygon token, the value of the Polygon token would would be the aggregate value of its projects using the technology, right? But also what the ecosystem itself is doing. So it's kind of like half company stock, half ecosystem value attribution yeah. or something, right? No, totally. Yeah. And and that and that's why, like for me personally, I I'd, I'm not a fan of crypto for a replacement of stock unless it truly is a replacement of stock. So um, so Coinbase, for example, is talking about tokenizing their stock, um, but they're, that's different than having a Coinbase token, right? Totally. Um, and so that's where people get confused overall. And you have people that buy cryptocurrency thinking that they have a portion of the company where they don't. They just have a portion of the total token supply. Um, and so, uh, I think personally that's confusing. Um, I think also, uh, it's, I think we're getting further away from the conversation that we're supposed to be having, but, but I've got a way to pull it back. I've got some well, I, yeah. as long as you find this interesting, I can nerd out on this part all a lot, but we I think actually what we're talking about here is actually what gets for the most part gets brands confused is because brands are like, well, why am I going to introduce cryptocurrency? And why am I going to have something that's going to fluctuate in in in, in price um, and introduce like no brand wakes up and is like oh hey I want to accept a currency that goes up and down five percent a day minimum right and like no brand thinks that way and by the way I know this because I made that mistake so I had a prior company in 2017 that we started and um, we had this idea of using loyalty points as cryptocurrency. And um, so basically, we created our own ERC-20 token. We did not do a token sale. Um, but the intent was people would earn um, tokens as loyalty points for the actions that they took on a brand side. Some of the mistakes that we made is we had it branded as us. We didn't brand it as the brand. And it was a fluctuating currency. Um, the way I would do that now is a stable coin. And so I believe in a world where every single brand has their own stable coin. And it's strictly just a replacement for loyalty. Um, so instead of earning loyalty points in a fixed ledger system, you're earning uh, stable coins or loyalty points that just happen to be stable cryptocurrency. And so now you have a use case for a token that allows the brand to operate and act more efficiently. Instant settlement, if they're a brand like Amazon or a brand that has a large ecosystem, they can have their partners even pay for and transacting these sort of things. Now that starts to make sense of how you might incorporate crypto in there. If you're a brand and you just say, oh, I want to accept, you know, XYZ cryptocurrency, that's no different than saying I'm going to accept, you know, seashells or I'm going to accept, you know, whatever mode of currency that someone happens to hold that they want to have liquidation on. Um, which, by the way, I'm not convinced that the majority of people that hold crypto want to interact or exchange that overall because they believe it might go up in value. So unless you're instantly um, converting your crypto from like your fiat price, you know, like like why would I spend my Bitcoin that I got at, you know, sub hundred dollars? I don't have that, by the way, but why, why would I spend my Bitcoin that I got at sub hundred dollars, you know, on something now to, you know, do I want to be like the next bit? Um, Bitcoin pizza guy. I don't. So um, that's why I do think there's a need for stable currencies um, overall and using cryptocurrency. But again, the value of that is so different than why I would hold Bitcoin. I'm holding Bitcoin because I believe a, as a store of value, it's long-term um, and, I, and I trust it. I'm using a stable coin 
just simply as a replacement for fiat currency. Um, and if it allows me to do it a little bit faster, then so be it. But I'm not holding the stable coin because I think it's going up in value because obviously it's not. It's just perhaps it helps me um, you know, do, do better work. That, that, um, you having that example of every brand having a stable coin also allows for that magical interoperability between brands where you can take your loyalty points and spend them elsewhere. A hundred percent being locked in. I mean, I think that's what becomes in the future, like the real, um, kind of like the value behind, um, decentralized exchanges and like Uniswaps and those sorts of things, um, on cryptocurrency, like I, I see a world of that amongst brand tokenization and brand tokens. So exactly to your point, it's like, hey, I earned all these, um, you know, Nordstrom coins for being a loyal customer. And now I want to, I don't know, go to... Buy beer. Buy beer. Yeah. So I want to go buy beer at the grocery store and I can, I can use that. And then there's the settlement is basically taken on in the background by an intermediary. Guess what? There are intermediaries in Web3. Um, there's a ton of them. Um, and so the intermediaries have just changed. Um, but that gets settled in the background, just like it would if you were in Japan and you paid with your credit card, you know, you're paying in yen, essentially, and then the settlement is happening in the background by the processor. Here's here's something interesting to think about. And, and it's great to hear all of your like individual perspectives on all of this technology, because I'm sure it, some of it leans in and applies to what you're doing at NIFMIN and and what you're doing for brands, which is this really cool set of technologies that allows brands to dive into some of this, some of these experiences, but keeping the technology in the background, keeping the, the, the brand and audience experience at the forefront. Um, I want to think about, I want to get your thoughts on this because you have, you know, you have a company, right? An organization, you know, no matter, you know, whatever, pick an organization. And then you have that organization's brand, right? And the brand is this interesting partnership between the company and the people that transact with it, right? And the would you say the value of the brand is equally dependent on the people that interact with it? As it is the people that are building it? Uh, as the people that are building the brand, yeah. So 100%. I mean, I think that one of the... One of the biggest problems and the biggest mistakes that has been to happened in Web3 is brands emulating um, NFT behavior and associating it to their company. So um, here, you know, just just a handful of things, handful of buzz clips or whatever. You know, I don't I don't think that consumers wake up in the morning and they're like, oh man, my life is so centralized. If only it could become more decentralized, then I would buy from this company, right? No one wakes up that way. And if they do, it's a really small smidgen of an individual. I was on a panel one time and I was like, no one lives their life 100% in crypto. And this guy's like, well, of course I, I do, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I buy in Cash App uh, my crypto. And I was like, but just right there, you don't live 100% in crypto because you bought the, ca the crypto from Cash App. Right. So like unless you're a miner and you're taking in all your stuff from the beginning, you're not doing that. So there has to be some level of intermediary. One. Two, there's roughly call it 35 million, 40 million MetaMask wallets out there um, that are active. And so for a brand it's on a Web3 from an NFT standpoint to say we're going to focus on a crypto consumer in releasing digital products to me is incredibly um, short sighted. 
And you actually run the risk of alienating your own brand uh, as a result of doing that. So I, I don't believe that you should do that. So um, if you think about a company like T-Mobile, uh, T-Mobile across the world, uh, with, including Deutsche Telekom, has like 250 million or so or plus customers. So imagine going to T-Mobile and saying like, hey, T-Mobile, you should focus on these 40,000 wallets for crypto. They have a much better opportunity to offer Web3 type of experiences to their existing core brand. Porsche unleashed um, an NFT a few months ago, and I was really surprised by all the blowback that they got. And I mean, I think they should have gotten blowback, but the but the feedback that they got, I thought was incredibly wrong. And I, I have a blog post about this on nifment.com for anybody that wants to, to see it. And essentially, Porsche um, delivers 300,000 plus cars a year. You know, they have a, a, a massive fan base. They have a massive consumer base. They have people that go to their shows, um, like car shows, et cetera, people that bought cars in the past. Uh, Porsche didn't target those customers in the NFT drop. They targeted crypto users. That's crazy to me. Like, um, you know, no offense to anybody in crypto, but hey, what folks, you are some of the most disloyal customers out there. And I'll tell you why, because your loyalty typically relies on the value that you believe the currency or the token will take on. And the second that that goes down, you abandon the project. What brand wants to operate in that way where if, if something slightly goes wrong, they're immediately going to trash the product. So again, I think that customers really need to um, think about, or sorry, not customers, brands, when they think about Web3 and NFTs is how do you serve your core customer and adjacent first? And if you do that, um, that's really how then you're going to be able to attract this Web3 user that you may also want. But just like any technology that's arisen, you know, the consumers don't use the technology uh, or, or sorry, use that new product or new thing for the technology unless um, they are an innovator or an early adopter, right? And so we are in this innovator earlier adopter phase, but that is, if, if you've ever read that book, Crossing the Chasm or seen that bell curve, where essentially you have your innovators, your early adopters, and then there's this chasm. And so before that is the early market. And to then to actually get into mainstream adoption, you have to cross the chasm. Um, I think we're still very early in the early adopter side of it. There's, we're not even close to that crossing the chasm. And most brands are focused on the mainstream market overall. Or if they are focused on early adopters, they're focused on their early adopters of their product. So um, as with any brand, as with any company, you focus on your core first, then you figure out the adjacent, and then you grow from there. So um, I do 100% believe in Web3 for brands, as that's why I'm building a company in that space. I just believe brands need to focus on their core user as the primary case. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Jonathan, I've, I've, I totally agree. And that's been my position too, is how do you figure out how to bring, uh, how do you tiptoe the existing uh, consumer base, your existing audience into some of these experiences, but make the value of those experiences 
uh, higher than the hassle of getting into them, right? 100%. So, so, you, so you have that piece, but I've never heard anyone say it so succinctly that to <laughs> a, to a brand that like you're a CMO, like, hey, yeah, I want to. We need to focus on this MetaMask. You know, forty million wallets. We need to go right there. You're absolutely right. There, it's it's a finicky, like speculative driven, opportunistic. Uh, audience set in general. I'm not saying the whole group is that way, right? Sure. But um but to be able to extend and and kind of tiptoe these other people into uh emerging tech and web3 experiences I think are cool. So what are you guys doing at Nift Mint? You know, if I'm a CMO and you've got me on this, all right, I totally get your perspective, Jonathan. I we don't need to focus on these uh, the 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 web3 stuff initially, but I have no idea how to get my old audience into this stuff. Like where do we even start? Uh, so I love this question a lot. Um, I'm very anti uh, welcoming people into Web3, and I'll explain why. So hopefully no one cuts this off after I say <laughs> that because um, there's a reason why I say that. Um, yeah, I remember like in the Clubhouse days, people would say that. I remember before Clubhouse, I remember going to conferences like, we have to welcome people into Web3. We need to onboard, onboard. people into Web3. Education, Web3. education, education, education. education. And there is, of course, a little bit of truth to that, but the product needs to be so good that you don't need to be onboarded. The product needs to be so yeah. good that you don't need to be welcomed into it. The product needs to be so good that you don't need to be educated into it, right? Um, when you think about core Web 2 technologies, you know, there wasn't seminars on how to use YouTube, or if they were, it was basically some guy who had some niche you know, thing like, follow me to get rich, uh, which, by the way, happens in crypto. But, um, you know, there... Really? The, the YouTube was just really good. Facebook was just really good. You know, the way we use commerce was just really good. And so um, I don't think that we need to educate people on how to use MetaMask for transacting daily or even crypto wallets for transacting daily. I'll put the caveat in. If you know how to use those things, I think you will always have an advantage over those that don't. Um, I think if you know how to use your own Bitcoin wallet and you know how to manage your own keys, you will always have an advantage in the financial system that others don't. If you know how to do that with MetaMask, you will always have that. I just have find a very hard to believe that we'll get um, anywhere over 20% of the population who handles their own keys independently for the majority of their things. So if, if, if you agree with that statement, then that means there has to be either intermediaries or someone that runs in the background. I mean, you know, if you lose your password to your bank, you can call your bank. If you lose your password to your keys, to your wallet, you're, you're SOL. Um, and that might work for people on this call, but that's not going to work for that average user. So real, real quick interjection on that too. It's this balance. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're going to be completely decentralized tomorrow. Everyone's got their own things and that. People don't want that responsibility. I don't never. Think, right? Never yeah. in a million years will we all be decentralized. Never. We, so, I mean, you have people to remember how- People in here don't want that responsibility. I mean, it, it weighs on me. Responsibility. I mean, you know, uh, just, just think about how we all, most people operate in the world. It's, it's, it's like- a lot of us in crypto are in this bubble and think that we're going to change people. And that's just never going to happen. Never in a million. I mean, we're talking about like how we have AI assistance. We're feeding LLM models, all this information on us so it can spit back information out. You know, the people that use chat GPT, just that alone is, is a paradox, right? So like, you're going to tell me that people that are ingesting all this information into AI 
to um, help them create content or help them speak better, do better things um, are the same people that are also going to manage their own keys and manage their own wallets. It's just, it's not the case because you're literally feeding a machine to train and to do things that you can do and, and arguably better. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a paradox there. With an, so with an be, infinite memory, I wonder how many people have fed their <laughs> keys into AI. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Um, but that being said is that um, I don't think most, uh, and maybe I could be careful with a statement, but I don't know that most people that support a brand have a lack of trust with that brand, right? Um, and if we think about this, that that's really a, a, what a lot of this comes down to is that whole trust element. But two is, and that's talking from the crypto user of, overall, but consumers buy products from brands they love simply because they love the brand or they love whoever's representing the brand. Um, and it's like that infinitely to the end of time. Uh, or So through the beginning of time. So you think about Jordan shoes, like there are people who only buy Jordan shoes because they like the way it looks or they like Michael Jordan, or frankly, now it's just so ingrained in popular culture that you don't even have to know who Michael Jordan is to, to, to have a Michael Jordan shoe. Um, so if you are a fan of Jordan shoes and Jordan shoes gives you a digital product, do you want that? I, I think you do. Um, you know, if you're a fan of, um, an LVMH, you know, bag and, um, that company gives you a digital product. Do you want it? I think you do. Now, if you don't care about that company and, and they give it to you, maybe you lose it. Maybe you throw it away. Maybe you just never claim it. Um, and that's fine too. But I have a, a strict belief that um, the world is only getting more digital, right? You know, 10 years ago, we couldn't do this podcast the way that we're doing it. So the, the world is getting more digital. Um, brands are creating more digital products. And consumers are demanding more digital products. So if we believe, if you believe all those things to be true, which I, I'm, I'd be surprised if, no, if someone doesn't believe that to be true, then you simply have to ask yourself, and as a brand, you have to ask yourself this question, do you want to offer digital products? And do you want those digital products to be JPEGs, PNGs, WAV files, um, you know, um, GIFs, et cetera? Um, or do you want them to be better JPEGs, better PNGs, better WAV files, better GIFs? And it's like, okay, well, what is a better JPEG? What is a better WAV file? Well, if I was to make a better JPEG or better PNG, et cetera, what I'd probably do is make sure that it's programmable. Um, I'd make sure that I could authenticate some things on there. I'd make sure to have some levels of provenance. Um, I'd make sure um, that you know it, it could basically be wrapped into some code and it could really prove that someone owned this piece of content. So when we talk about what that digital better JPEG is, we're talking about an NFT. The problem is, is that it's really difficult to consume right now because I have to rely on a lot of crypto tech that is more about focused on this decentralized concept. So what we do at NIFMIT and what our belief system is, is you have this live inside of the brand ecosystem, um, just like you might have anything else. And so uh, what NIFMIT does in particular is we allow a brand uh, to be able to create or generate their own uh, better JPEGs, create their, their own NFTs, um, and they can add it to their product catalog as inventory. So it's in the e-commerce site the same way any other product would be. And when the customer transacts, 
they transact with the same payment method that they would anything else. And so people come to us like, oh, are you a payment processor for NFTs? It's like, no, no, we, you use your same payment processor because it's, we just created the thing and you're now creating, you're now selling this thing on your site. And, um, you know, we're that tokenization API. We're basically the minting creator of your NFT. So if anybody's ever created their own um, print t-shirts on demand, it's, it's kind of similar to that if you think about it in the sense from a, from an um, infrastructure standpoint, it's allowing you to print your own T-shirt on demand. This is allowing for you to create your own N NFTs and treat them as inventory. Um, the main thing that we do that I think really sets us apart is that we also custody the NFT on behalf of the brand and, and behalf of the consumer. So the consumer never has to hold crypto, never has to have a crypto wallet. We custody it for it. So there might be people listening here and say, well, that's not decentralized. Guess what? Neither is Coinbase where you buy crypto, <laughs> neither is, you know, OpenSea for that matter. There's decentralized elements of it, but it's not there. But I will tell you that if anybody wants to take their NFT off of the brand ecosystem, all they have to do is plug in their MetaMask wallet um, or, or preferred wallet. So it's, again, the same as how Coinbase might work. And, and there needs to be those on off ramps. And so we essentially look at ourselves as that for there. That's a, just real quick to jump in on that. I, I think this is an important call out because a lot of uh, companies that have done this in the past, and I've, I've been in this space for you know three years, kind of doing my own experiments, checking out what other people are doing, transacting, playing around. And a lot of the early email-based uh, custodial wallet uh, transactions, you aren't able to be like, okay, well, that's cool. I got my DC Comics thing, but how do I pull that into my own MetaMask wallet? I mean, they may be able to do that now, but I think that's a really cool call out. And, and is it a pretty simple process? Literally, you just integrate your, you put in your MetaMask wallet and the assets transferred? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, so um, what's interesting is when we were first working on this, um, a couple of people or a couple of companies started doing it a little bit at the same time or even after. And there's this notion of like to uh, token gating, right? It's like, oh, hey, token gate with an NFT uh, to be able to purchase goods, et cetera. Um, we believe in token gating also, but we believe in token gating as a, instead of a first step, which what a lot of people believe, we believe in token gating as an absolute last step. And so um, to that point uh, that you're making there, Jeremy, is that if uh, someone decide, let's say I'm someone that I don't want to keep my NFT inside of, um, the brand. I connect my MetaMask wallet. I transfer out the NFT to my MetaMask wallet. And at that moment, that's where we token gate back into the brand. So, um, I can still get any benefits from that brand because my MetaMask is token gating the token that I got from that brand into the system, but not as a first or for, or a forefront there. Um, our early data is showing that it's only about 10% of people that actually take their products out of the system. Um, and, you know, we've talked to, you know, we've done, of course, like customer tests or customer interviews as well. And you'll even have people who are hardcore crypto who don't transfer it out because from their point of view, it's like, hey, I don't necessarily think this NFT is going to be worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for that matter. Um, so like, I'm totally fine with it staying in here because I'm not purchasing this as an investment or I'm not getting this as an investment. I'm getting this because I like it. I want it. 
um, you know, it came with it, et cetera. Well, it's also, it also makes it difficult to interact with the brand and even more. It's, it's almost like if I, if I buy something from you and we go back to the t-shirt analogy, right? So you're, you know, we're at Mark's concert, we all buy t-shirts and everyone with t-shirts gets to go in this other room. Right. And we're in there. We got the T-shirt. We're all hanging out. It's a great time. And I'm like, hey, I like this T-shirt, but I'm going to take it away and I'm going to isolate myself in another room. Right. Uh, that's that's like it's it's kind of you're losing the interactivity or ease of interactivity. Right. Right. Be right. Yeah. Because yeah, you have to token gate again in the future. And and again, it's um, it all depends on what you think you're going to be using these NFTs for. So I believe in a world where everything is tokenized. So that might sound crazy to people. So I believe in a world that everything is tokenized. And in that world where everything is tokenized, you might not value um, your different tokenized elements the same. And the reason why I say I believe in a world where everything is tokenized is because I think to my statement earlier where I was talking about better JPEGs is when we acquire digital products in the future, I believe that those will all be NFTs and tokenized. That being said, I don't think consumers will ever even know that they're NFTs, care that they're NFTs, um, or deal with them in an NFT fashion. Like I think they'll live on the brand platform or um, so, some sort of ent- uh, uh, some sort of entity um, that's not a self custodied wallet. And the reason I believe that again is because I think that if you start offering more digital products, like why wouldn't you want to offer the best digital product? If you're going to accept the digital product, why wouldn't you want the best digital product? Um, and so the best analogy I can get, I, I'm full of analogies. So apologies uh, on that. Love analogies. Um, I love, I, I think the best analogy to where we sit today with NFTs is actually, um, the pirating of music in the late nineties, early two thousands. So back then you could listen to any song you wanted to on the planet, as long as you were sophisticated enough to use LimeWire or Napster or Pirate Bay um, or any of these um, torrent type of sites. And you had a computer and you had the torrenting software or the burning software and you could have it be online long enough to download the whole thing and then you could burn it onto a CD. And now you're listening to MP3s. And so we all listened to MP3s in the late late 90s, early 2000s. And then all of a sudden, this magic internet company comes out where you press play and you can listen, stream any song that you want. Spotify comes out, right? So Spotify comes out and and sure enough, um, Apple Music does the same thing. And now there's all these different streaming platforms. And we don't listen to MP3s or MP4s or WAV files anymore. We, We do, of course, but we don't think that we're listening to that. We're just listening to songs. We're listening to music. We're listening to our favorite artist, right? We don't think about the technology that powers music anymore. Where in the early nine or sorry, the late nineties, early two thousands, if you were doing that, all you thought about was the technology that powered the music. Now you just think about the music. So that that's essentially what we're doing when it comes to NIFMIT is building the core infrastructure for that world where people don't ever think about NFTs or even care it's an NFT. Uh, it's just the better digital content file. There was something very satisfying about going out and then coming home to find you torrent had completed all of your favorite albums and <laughs> yeah. but I, I think that what you've touched on is is really kind of pertinent and powerful and it kind of echoes what other people have said there needs to be a cultural shift in how you think or how brands are thinking about this technology about how they're thinking about nfts we have to remove that nfts as an investment and use it as a product as a 
a gateway into the culture of a brand. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know how you're thinking about when you speak about this. There's a lot of these NFTs won't be limited in number. They'll just be essentially come into our brand. Here are the NFTs, or here are the products, and, and you buy them, and they, and they lose that aura of investment and become a product, like you said, an awesome, an awesome product. A hundred percent. I think the trading of NFTs um, is the smallest opportunity of what NFTs bring um, of all the potential use cases of it. Right. Um, I, I think that there will always be a market for trading NFTs, by the way. Um, and there will always be PFPs and there will always be these um, collectible type of NFTs. I think that will always happen. Um, but I don't think that that's what NFTs are or that's what Web3 is. I think it's, you know, less than 1% of the total opportunity. Um, but I do think that, you know, everything that's digital content, um, whether that be an image, song, you know, movie, uh, whatever, anything digital content has the opportunity and the likelihood of being tokenized in the future. Um, I, I believe there's a high likelihood that it will be. And that's essentially what we're basing, you know, what we're building off of. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of boring stuff is going to be tokenized. Uh, I, I love saying that boring NFTs are going to rule the world. And when I say, what I mean by that is anything that's paper um, that you want to have for a very long time, record-wise, et cetera, um, you know, there's an argument that that should be an NFT, whether that be everything, you know, from land title um, or, you know, your... Um, you know, some sort of contract, your, your business filings, you know, these are all things that could essentially admin. Very well, admin. all admin. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, the response to that of course is like, Oh, well, why would you want all that on the blockchain? Or that's all that's this or that, or that that's too costly. Or there's all these sort of things like, look, we're going to get more efficient. There's going to be other blockchains that come out. There's going to be other solutions and it might very likely not be super decentralized blockchain where this stuff lives. It might be decentralized enough for the parties involved um, to care that it's, you know, that information is, it can be validated enough or, uh, or maybe it is frankly on centralized blockchains. I, I don't think that the content side of it um, needs to be uh, decentralized. Um, that being said, I do think there will be certain things that should remain always decentralized. And um, maybe those are things that go on the Bitcoin ordinals um, protocol instead. Um, but I, it's going to be fun times. And, and I've been saying the same thing since two, since 2020, um, when it comes to NFTs, uh, you know, we've, we've been working on, uh, NIFMIN or this, this iteration or content of the, or, or sorry, aspect of this since, uh, the very beginning of 2021. And, you know, I remember reaching out to investors and, and talking to them about before the, that big NFT run happened, talking about what we were doing. And then be like, oh, well, you know, isn't this all about PFPs and this and that? I was like, no, no, like that's a tiny use case of it. That's a tiny use case of it. And um, I remember being at um, uh, NFT NYC and, and talking about how I think PFP avatars are the smallest use case for NFTs and how I think they're going to go down in value back back then. And, and people thought that that was, you know, silly of me to say. I even had investors tell us that, you know, if we were building our product, but it was for the PFP avatar use case, they would invest in us. And, you know, me, a little bit ego driven, but also conviction of what we were doing, I would say like, hey, like, that's wrong. <laughs> we're, we're not going to do that. 
Um, and every once in a while, I'm like, man, I wish I, maybe I should have done that. And then we would have gotten funded for that, but we would have gotten pigeonholed into that and maybe not even be around anymore. So, you know, I'm glad we didn't do it, um, in that regard because, um, yeah, I just, I really wholeheartedly believe in the brand context and, and the corporate context. And, and I should also share that I've been working with brands and in, in, um, the intersection of, of brand and, and disruptive tech since 2013, and I've been working with brands since 2009. So it's, it's frankly what I know best and like the lens that I see everything through, um, which, you know, it, I find it interesting when I hear people that have zero commerce experience tell me that they're building, you know, NFTs for commerce or NFTs for brands. And I'm like, do you even know how brands think? Because um, the way that you're articulating what you're doing, like brands just don't operate that way. So Super, yeah, super important. Uh, fantastic perspective. I think some some takeaways just on on the on the last few ideas is you know a lot of emerging tech, a lot of Web three gets lumped into one bucket, right? And when you say something like you know you see a world where everything is tokenized, a large amount of folks who aren't in the space are thinking, oh, well, that means everything's fully decentralized. It's like no, those are way different things, right? Yeah. yeah. Tokenization and decentralization are, are, are two different aspects of, of all of this. But Jonathan, fascinating conversation. I, I want to be mindful of time. Um, Mark does a super fantastic job of, of putting some nuggets out and sharing some information. So we'll make sure we get all of your information uh, on NIFMIN and what you're doing and some of your blog posts and, and echo that out into the world. But I, it was a really great conversation, uh, especially just your perspective of, of helping uh, tap existing audiences into a tech that's too complicated right now, uh, but let it play in the background and let it enable great relationships between brands and audience. So I, I thank you for being here. Uh, Mark, any thoughts on your side to close um, this out? Yeah, I, I echo I echo your thoughts. And I love and I, I agree with the idea of everything or almost there must be something that doesn't need to be tokenized, but almost, let's say almost everything um, being tokenized. And yeah, thanks, Jonathan. And we need to get you back because I had lots of other thoughts. I know you're a big proponent of the Latino community. We wanted to ask you some questions about the challenges of building and founding a company in Web3 and kind of pivoting and hiring. So there's a lot more to uncover. So um, maybe... Come yeah, back no, I, if you'd like I, to one day. That hey, anything I can do to be helpful, uh, please let me know. Whether it's on the show or behind the scenes, um, you know, happy to do so. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for for having me uh, on the show. Um, yeah, I, I am Latino. I'm from Venezuela. Family's from Venezuela, and so that that's a big part of 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 um, me and my culture, and um, part part of the reasons um, why you know why I, I, I don't know. I I, I think. All of us, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your race, regardless of your religion, et cetera, like you have your own um, experiences that mold you into what you do and where you are. And so I, I really do think like, you know, growing up in two, two cultures at the same time um, and spending lots of time in Venezuela, for example, and seeing a lot of things that happen there have also shaped how I think about Web3 and how I think about, you know, Bitcoin or how I think about how brands use this thing, right? So for anybody listening, it doesn't matter what your background is, is, you know, try to bring from that into your personal experience, also into your business experience, because you're uniquely positioned to solve the problems that you're going after, you know, based off of those experiences. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I've, I've got some ideas on how we can have another conversation about all of that, but thank you, Jonathan. Some last quick housekeeping items for the thinking on paper community. You can find us, uh, thinking on paper, .xyz. We have an amazing, exciting, special announcement for you uh, coming very early next week related to a very cool partnership that Mark and I are excited to announce. Um, we have some uh, really cool episodes coming up, Mark. Any, anything you want to highlight for uh, guests coming up? We, we have, I think, did we get an extra six, seven, eight, nine guests? We've got guests till Christmas, so we're very excited. Um, we're going to be talking about art. We're going to be talking about finance we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking to some very uh opinionated people and in light of kind of recent linkedin shenanigans it's going to be interesting to get some people um laying down the law so yeah exciting times great and lastly quick shouts to our, our amazing audience in the chat solomon uh carlos kevin thanks for the intro uh to our amazing guest jonathan today and uh we will see you next week guys thanks for joining